Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues. Welcome to Energy Unplugged. I am Oliver Kerr, head of Aurora's US business, and hosting with me today is Felix Chalkambich, who heads up Aurora's CAISO and Western US advisory practice. Uh, and today we are very excited to be joined by Julian Nebreda. Julian is the CEO of Fluence Energy, uh, before which he had a distinguished career at AES Corporation, uh, ultimately serving as president of the South America Strategic Business Unit. Uh, That's in addition to multiple board positions and altogether over 20 years of experience in the energy sector. Julian, we're absolutely delighted you can join us. Welcome to Energy Unplugged. Thank you for the invite. Really looking forward for our conversation. Fun and first time I've been called, I have a a distinguished career. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a first day for everything. There are a few topics we want to focus on today, but before we get into the detail, I wanted just to start with the big picture. So I think you took on the role of CEO at Fluence at a really interesting time last year. So right in the middle of a big supply chain crunch and skyrocketing lithium prices, uh, at the same time as huge demand for battery storage in both the energy and, and transport sectors. So we'll come on to some of those issues in a minute. But, but first, I wanted to take a step back and just ask how you see the outlook for battery storage globally going forward at, at a high level. 2021 and 22 were very peculiar years for the city. They had, you know, 10 years of prices coming down, logistical prices very stable, things very, 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 very stable. And we had, so, you know, we went public, major, major demand for our product. And, you know, suddenly we had all this volatility, prices skyrocketing, lithium prices going up through the roof, battery prices difficult to getting things out of China or getting things that we're moving things around. And and the company wasn't ready for it. And our industry wasn't ready. When you look generally at, at most of our competitors, we were all in the same space. So I came in, the diagnosis that we did with, with the new management, it was, hey, he was clearly, you know, there's a huge head, uh, uh, tailwinds. Huge, the technology is moving forward. They are customers wanted. You know, the supply chain works. You know, we are, you know, it's a strong supply chain. Hey, what happened? We had a weak, you know, risk management system. Let's put it. So we actually put in place a new risk management system and try to raise our offer, you know, from, a, you know, supply chain, you know, price, you know, some of the commodity drivers. And I think it has worked very, very well. This is not something that, as I said, that we were not the only ones that did it. Most of the industry did it at the time. And I think that he has put the technology at a point where he can now actually, you know, continue using the tremendous tailwinds he has. You know, tremendous tailwinds. Clearly, it's a technology that has a very broad, you know, it's very versatile that it can do a lot. We can talk about it. But right now, it's taking, you know, it's, it's playing the game of accelerating the integration of renewables. And with the major acceleration of the renewables, you know, I think this technology has a, you know, protagonist role to play at this stage. But, you know, I think that the role of this technology is much more than renewable integration, you know, and, and there's a lot more to do. 
But today, that's what we're doing. That's what we're dedicating most of the time. And that's what I think is giving us a tailwind to accelerating the, the, the industry. Mm. So when you look at the hottest markets now for battery storage globally, um, is there anything that they have in common? Is it is it just rising renewables or or is it something else that they have in common? Generally, I will say it's a commitment to renewals and and and, fa- and fast integration of it and reducing the the cost. So when you see which are the biggest markets today, the UK, the US by far, the UK, Chile, you know, Australia. These are co- markets that have have committed to renewals and are really working hard. But, you know, that's not the only thing we do. We also work very, very hard in, in, in markets where there is a real need to strengthen the grid. The Philippines is a case. Taiwan is a case. These are small markets, Iceland markets, that have, you know, challenges of having strong uh, grids. And, you know, battery storage plays a fundamental role in that. So if you look, in fact, we got to do today where you see clearly the, the bigger markets, the ones that are integrating renewals. Germany is the one I didn't, you know, the US, Germany, the UK, Australia, you know, India starting now. And then the other smaller markets where we play a role of really helping the grid, you know, get better, reduce the cost of having a very, very strong grid. I mean, even in a market like the US that is mature, um, I think you still see the challenges. I think that's one of the fears with the yeah. IRA. Building out a lot of renewables, but you know how how able is the grid to cope with that? And it'll be interesting to see what role battery storage could play in that. Well, we we see that as a as the ultimate role of batteries, and what we're doing now. But clearly, you know, the, the role of batteries will span as price as the cost comes down, and and the business cases will span. But where do we see the where where do we live? There's a sweet spot today, so we do a lot of you know. Uh, uh, what we call, you know, renewal integration, frequency control, voltage, you know, you know, peaking capacity, adding, helping the the, the solar hours stand beyond the, the peak hours, things like that, so easy. But we're now doing transmissions. We have two projects in Europe, one in Lithuania, one very big one that we announced fairly recent, six months ago in, in Germany, where we're using batteries to increase the utilization factor of transmission systems. So essentially what you do is that, you know, as you know, transmission systems are usually operated with an idle line, you know, or an idle circuit to ensure that you can manage demand or volumes in case there is any, there is any disruption and you don't create any, any sort of problem. What you do is you put batteries, and this sounds simpler than, than you know, it's a lot more complicated, but you put batteries on each side of the transmission line. In this case, the batteries play the role of the idle circuit that you have to support any issues with the reliability or the or, or, of the transmission line. And that way, by using the batteries to provide that security, the transmission operators can use the transmission, the transmission infrastructure completely, increasing the amount of energy they can transfer through the line and, and improve and releasing the need, you know, not only increasing the utilization factor of the, of the line, increasing the economic factor of the line, because now you can transmit, you know, a lot more uh, energy and that's, that's better. And you can, at the same time, delay investments if, if that's it. That's, that's kind of the next frontier. And the one afterwards, I think, will be the distribution sector, you know, they're going down 
into, you know, low voltage and then to the more distributed grid where also batteries can play a role at ensuring that, you know, and this is just starting, at ensuring that you could more efficiently provide a more distributed network, the same level of services that, you know, distribution customers or utility customers are accustomed. So mm-hmm. as I said, there is a lot, a long way for this technology to be used in the, you know, we're now supporting renewals, but I see it, you know, years and years to come of more, the, you know, more development of customer use, business usages and, and products that we will be able to deliver. to uh, That's a really interesting point around the evolution of battery business models over time. I suppose the way I see it is right now, a lot of batteries are being built um, in different markets, primarily to serve ancillary services. As those markets start to saturate, you see a move into energy arbitrage. And, and as you mentioned, there's a sort of next frontier of batteries as transmission assets. To get to that next frontier, to what extent do you think business ownership models need to change? Is Are IPPs still going to be the primary owners of batteries in the future? Or, or do you see batteries as grid assets where you know the grid operators are putting them in the rate base and operating them that uh, way? I, I think that... I think that in order to work in the transmission sector, they will have to be owned by the transmission asset owners, so more more than the IPP operators. There's a regulatory challenge with batteries as transmission support is that, you know, batteries can be dispatched. And the general rule in most of the regulations, transmission operators are not allowed to dispatch anything, no, as a way because you don't want them to give preference over one generation one unit of generation to another. So that that's today, I would say, the regulatory challenge that we need to go, you know, we need to kind of figure it out. You know, clearly we what we want, we want to have the transmission operators not to be making the decisions who should dispatch. That should be an economic decision. But at the same time, you know, dispatching the batteries in a way, you know, ensures secure, you know, ensures the security. So that's a tension we have seen in Germany, the tension we have seen in Europe. That's the thing we need to resolve in the U.S. But, but generally, in my view, that these assets, at the end of the day, in order to work better, they will have to work as, you know, as regulatory assets included in the transmission and or the distribution operator asset base. And Julian, you describe these different applications of batteries going from frequency control to renewable integration and then supporting the transmission are these the the same same batteries in terms of duration and response time, or do you think the batteries need to evolve as well? What we see today is that most of the business cases that I'm talking about do not require more than four hours. You know, mm-hmm. so the current technology you have with the lithium-ion batteries work very well. Can longer battery storage or, or, or products that are a little that can longer, say solid state, which we able to maybe within in, you know, less than less density to provide longer duration. It might, it might change the business case, you know, but today it's very difficult to see a need for, you know, 10-hour batteries. Batteries will never do long-term storage. No, but batteries are not tanks. I always like to say this to people when they call, well, but, you know, you can you move, you know, a, a generation from the winter to the summer, you know, Batteries will never be able to, will never. That, that's something that we should not ask batteries to. But, you know, batteries are not going to play the role of tanks. Tanks will continue. You know, there will be a need for tanks. 
whether you put there gasoline or hydrogen or, 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 or you know, uh, any sort of fuel that is either, you know, carbon-based fuel or non-carbon-based fuel, that's a different decision. But tanks will continue to play a role in the, in the electricity sector. That's not what we're trying to resolve. We're trying to resolve short-term issues. And, you know, tanks are not good at short-term storage. You know, we are not good at long-term storage. So, you know, so, you know maybe we, you know, we can spend two, six and eight hours. But once you go beyond that, you know, there are better infrastructure solutions than batteries, I think. Super interesting, especially in the context of California, where you're, we're really pushing the envelope on longer duration storage and what it can do to balance renewable intermittency for longer durations, um, you know, in the context of not wanting to build new gas. Yeah. But you can do tanks, you know, you can do hydrogen. Hydrogen is very, very efficient at, or not very efficient, can efficiently, you know, save, you know, can be at a reservoir of clean energy. For longer periods of time, you know, at a, a batteries will never be able to do that. I think, you know, no, may, maybe to twenty, may, maybe somebody that will come back to hunt me. But I don't think that in the battery technology roadmap we see, well, we see batteries are going to allow us to, you know, maybe offer a twelve-hour solution, a twenty, you know, twenty-hour, but never enough that they will cover, you know, months, you know, or weeks. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd like to pick up on a different point uh, you mentioned earlier at the beginning of the of our conversation about how we're in a period where costs are increasing with you know supply chain issues and and all that. Um, what what do you think about how, how does that interact with the Inflation Reduction Act? I mean, the fact that right now there's a lot more new tax credits coming out of the U.S. and really the consensus view is that the IRA would likely speed up battery deployment. How does that interact with all those patterns you're talking about in terms of costs coming up? It will clearly increase demand, no doubt. But, but let me tell you where we are today. Lithium carbonate prices, which is a, the main a, a commodity that supports battery, has been coming down in prices from November to today. Even today, I was pressed for this. I was checking the price, you know, checking the, I was trading continuous, probably 40% down in, in, in removing dollars. It's a, it's a different number. But uh, we have seen major investments in supply, mm-hmm. major investments in mining, major investments. So, I mean, you know, I do agree that this, we will continue to see some volatility because the mar- there's a lot, and it will be impossible to, you know, meet market demand and, and offering at the same time. But uh, I do believe there's no reason to believe that this is a technology that will continue to come down in prices over time. You know, we, will, mm-hmm. we might see other opportunities where you see, even with the with Inflation Reduction Act, we see major, major uh, uh, demand pools, but that those can easily be recovered by new offerings, new investments, and new, you know. Uh, so lithium-ion prices have come down. They're still significantly higher than what they were before, you know, before in, in the 2019, early 2020. It appears from what you hear is that the people that do the mining and the processing for this are still making significant margins. So that continues to attract more investment. But, but clearly you can see that what appears to be a combination of lower demand in China and marginal uh, offerings, you know, significantly help the prices come down, not to the points before the 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 nineteen the the, the two thousand and nineteen, 
but but still, you know, shows that is a market that where there are, you know, not significant barriers to entry. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very, very confident that this technology will continue reducing in price. And, you know, the, 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 that they will continue evolving and that we will see this, you know, that's the investments we're making, you know, that this is a, a technology that's just starting in its useful life. Like computer chips, you know, when you had, you know, earlier, you know, transistors, you know, earlier ago, they worked for radios and now they have been become more and more complex and the price continue to come. I don't know if we're going to get into some sort of Moore's law that I'm not, not proposing that. I was saying that this industry has that infrastructure, that, that technology base, but that we will see continuous improvements. I do believe that we'll continue to see improvements in pricing and competitiveness. Mm -hmm. And I guess we're seeing a lot more announcements in manufacturing capability of battery cells coming up in the U.S. Um, in conjunction with the IRA. Uh, to what extent is the sort of domestic content adders of the IRA really changing the location of the supply chains? And, and how would that, what would that mean for the battery um, supply chain overall? I see, you know, first from a regulatory point of view, I see there is a, in the U.S. and, and in Europe, a, a commitment to the, let's start with the more macro, a, a, a commitment to, or a, or a policy view of de-industrializing the economy, bringing back industrial processes into the U.S. You know, not only, you know, this not only being a fully service economy, but bringing back some industrialization processes. So that, and, and I think energy and battery storage as part of energy will play a significant role in bringing that uh, industrial processes back to the U.S. Uh, and I tell you my own view. I think that, uh, I think it makes sense. There's no reason to believe the U.S. cannot be competitive. It's close to significant mines. Of, sil of silicon, of, of sorry, of lithium. It has very low cost of energy, probably of the developed countries is one of the countries with the lowest cost of energy. So it's a country abundant in energy that can, you know, as you know, the, the, the processing of, of lithium is an energy intensive process. Uh, it is a fairly, fairly cleaner in terms of the energy matrix that some of its other uh, countries. So, you know, and, and it has an industrial base and educated people. So I believe that this is going to happen, you know, and, and that the, that we will see a major, major, you know, re redistribution of how, where batteries are built, where this, these industrial processes are occurring, you know, and the U.S. will take a significant role in that. Also Europe, your, Europe has, also, you know, it, it, Europe is a lot more complex because it's a, you know, as a union, it's not as unionized, use that word, as the U.S. But uh, so each market has its own different roles and, and industrial policy is a lot more difficult to implement in, in Europe than it is in the U.S. But I think that Europe will also bring in more. And then, then there are countries like India. And as the demand is picking up at the speed, it doesn't mean that that we will have because some some people ask me, well, but this is this is a this major shift in industrial processes is very very costly, uh, and it might mean that you have you know a, a idle capital, you know, a factory built somewhere that now has nothing to serve, 
But the reality is that with the technology and the demand growing so fast, you know, I don't see, you know, any major, major factory anywhere going, going idle. You know, just as the new capacity, the new demand will be served from these different markets as they move along. So. Yeah, and I see what you mean in the sense that demand is, is ramping up so quickly. You can almost add um, production capacity for batteries anywhere in the world and there will be a market for it. Exactly. And this interesting shift, you know, your, your point about Europe and America really re-industrializing and really changing that dynamic about where where are things produced. And it will take time. Clearly, the, the, the U.S. will have the challenge of its, uh, you know, I will say conversion in another way, but, you know, I have a more strict uh, approval process for projects, you know, and, and, and so that will make it a little more complicated also in Europe that probably in some other countries where the processes to get the permits and, and licenses and stuff work out faster. But, you know, the U.S. was able to build a whole industry of shell gas in 15 years, you know, that converted the U.S. into the biggest producer of, of, of gas and oil in the world, oil and, and, and probably gas also, you know, gas is probably the second. Uh, so I, I, I do not, you know, I, I do not foresee why we could do it with shell gas, you know, uh, we could not do it with industrial processes. So, so we've been talking about some of the issues in the battery sector at large. I'm curious what all this means for the fluence business model specifically and how you're adapting to some of these challenges. So you, I think you mentioned when that you first took the helm of the business, risk management was a top priority. Um, I'm curious how the broader structure of the business helps manage risk or, or, or not. I mean, so Fluence is involved across almost all the value chain, you know, equipment, software, servicing, asset management. To what extent has that been an advantage or, or perhaps even a disadvantage at, you know, dealing with some things like the supply chain bottlenecks? One of the things that it became evident to me is that scale is very important. For, for for risk management, no, that let's say you need we needed to have you know several you know battery suppliers, several technology partners, and you know only with scale you can do that in a way that you do not lose competitive. You know? So I think scale has been our biggest advantage in this, and will continue. And we, I personally believe that this company is a fraction of what it needs to be. You know. Uh, that we still needs to grow to be able to do this, uh, the, the scale to really create the value for our customers still, still needs a lot of work too. You know, we need a lot to. Uh, then the other, you know, so that, that's very, then the other challenge of this also is that you need to identify very clearly where you create value. And, and we said for ourselves, for us, I mean, as a company, our view is that we're not a battery distribution business. You know, we are a company that resolves problems for our customers. We provide solutions using battery technology. You know, we're good at using battery technology. We have a good supply chain. We understand how that technology works and we use that technology to address customer problems. So the customers is what guides our, the, you know, how, how we guide our strategic planning internally. And where do we see? So we believe the customers, as we talk to customers, they say the easiest one, safety, fundamental for our customers. You know? So we spend a lot of time in safety. Bankability, the ability to fire. And this will sound strange because these are not, you know, clearly safety is. 
But the other one is bankability. You need to finance this problem. So, you know, we need to work very hard to ensure that we can offer something that is easily bankable. Mm -hmm. uh, performance that we talked So you know, not only these very quick response batteries, but, you know, batteries that have high availability that do what they tell you in a reliable way. So that, that's very, very important. The other thing that our customers ask, I do not want to think about your supply chain. I, you know, I do not care, you know, what do you use? Just give me what I have. You resolve that problem. So having a, a strong supply chain where we commoditize and the risk the supply chain for our customers. And that's what we, that's what we bring to our customers. No? And I think that when we looked at that, we said, well, clearly digital integration is fundamental. So we are in a road to have a, a solutions that where all the, the, all the code will be controlled by us. It doesn't matter where the parts come from, but all the code will be controlled by us because that's very, very important. So, you know, clearly safety, these things you know, will have are not only very, very safe, but in the case there is a problem, all problems are contained. So, you know, that's something, a guiding principle. You know, we do not want our customers or us to be in any way limited by any of our suppliers. So we're commoditizing our suppliers to a extent possible to ensure that we, we, what we offer our customers and if a supplier changes their mind, or decides to drop, or decides to be unreasonable, it doesn't really affect the risk. And that's what that's kind of where we're thinking about this. Do you think the sort of, I mean, look, Tesla, uh, Elon Musk is building a giant lithium refinery down the road from here in Corpus Christi, Texas. Do you think that sort of vertical integration in supply chains will become more common going forward? Yeah, I mean, for the car industry, maybe. For us, I don't see it. The car industry... Their product development cycles are a lot longer. So for them, their technology definitions are, they're, they're, once you, they built a car with certain solutions, I cannot marry with that you know, for a longer period of time. Uh, our technology is a lot more nimble. You know, we can do more things, we can change more. And as I said, we can, I think we can commoditize our suppliers. So I don't think that for us, we need to resist to the point where we, where we own or have an interest in mining. No? But, you know, so, so it's, a, it's a, different, a different approach, you know, of how you understand your business. We looked at our business, you know, at the customer's side. You know, some, some of our people looked at the business from their supply side. No? And no, no one's wrong or right, you know, but just different, different approaches. And talking about these different approaches, another area where we're seeing different approaches in terms of how integrated um, the business is in terms of servicing um, the battery industry is in the battery optimization space. So here in the U.S., we're seeing a number of IPPs optimizing their their batteries in-house. So you know, the broad reaches, the, the Black Mountains, whereas in some other markets, um, I think in the U.K. in particular, a lot of third-party optimizer. So that's outsourced. That's um, right. Yeah. So, so how do you think this, this will, will play out in terms of like how easy it is to scale in your own in-house optimization? And, um, you know, over time, will, will there be a consensus as to whether this should be done in-house or done outsourced? 
I think that, you know, it, it will depend market by market, but generally, I think that this scale at the end will impose itself, you know, and, and having these uh, tools in-house, unless you are a huge company, will probably, you know, will not be the right decision down, you know, long-term, you know. So, so that's generally our view. We are, as you know, we have our, our optimi optimization tool. We believe that we offer a price point and a cost points and a, you know, and a quality point that, that makes it very, very difficult from, for a self-integrator or a self-optimizer to do it. Uh, but, you know, not may maybe you can win, you know, you can, you know, if you see this as a hundred meter race, Maybe the, some of the self-integration companies can win the hundred. I don't know if they can win the marathon, you know, which is at the end what this is. Because one of the things that you need to think when I, especially when I think about this technology, you know, if, if you go to, I, I was, you know, I worked in AES for many years and I visited very old plants, many old plants, you know, all around my life. And when you go to an old plant, an old German plant, they essentially, the equipment is doing, what they were supposed to do the day you commission it. And nothing has changed, you know. Maybe the operating system changed, or the, the system that operated the plant, the SCADA, but the warriors doing what it's supposed to do, the generators doing, the rotors doing, everything's working as it was. That's not going to happen with our technology. Our, our, these technologies are going to do more and more with digital innovation. And they are, they're going to be a source of value over the 20 years life they have it, that, that will evolve. And I do think that it will, it's going to be very, very difficult for self-integrators who are not self-integrated, you know, self-optimizers to really be able to do this, you know, efficiently in the long run. You know? mm -hmm. However, as you know, I always said this because I like, I like, you know, I like to make this caveat. I love this industry because it's a competitive industry. I love competition. I think competition <laughs> is what drives social value. You know, I, I come from a country that unfortunately is under a communist rule and where the view that competition, you know, the market does not exist and shouldn't, shouldn't be not a good driver of value creation. And I have seen, you know, personally what lack of competition, lack of market, destroys social value and how competition and, and a market creates social value. So, you know, I, I welcome the competition. Uh, and I, you know, we're, we're trying to do our best to ensure that we deliver that long-term value to our customers and, you know, hey, keeping an eye on what all the, the self-optimizers are doing to see, ensure that they, none, of, none of them get ahead of us. You know, yeah. Then they can. But, but, you know, hey, I, clearly I wish them well. I, you know, I'm willing to sell them my battery so they can, my solution so they can optimize it with their own equipment. Yeah, it's a very, very complex second by second optimization that costs many revenue streams, right? So, so, oh, no, uh, yeah, and, and, and it's going to get more and more complex, Felix. You know, I think mm -hmm. that this is, uh, this is something that sometimes uh, for me has been, you know, as I come from the traditional world, you know, where you see a solar panel and you know, the solar panel is going to do the same thing or a wind farm, it's going to do the same thing or a transformer. This technology is just starting to do what it's going to do. And just by software and digital solutions, you will allow it to expand what they do. Fairly easy. So 
you cannot think of when you get into here, when you looked at this, hey, take a picture of it today. Oh, this is, you know, hey, this is going to be years and years of, of opportunities, you know, and, and some of our competitors, I don't want this to be blowing our homes. A lot of our competitors do the same thing. You know, hey, we are with you for these 20 years. We'll service you. We'll provide you digital solutions. We'll make ensure that as you look at these assets, you'll make money out of it and create value with it. And we can mm -hmm. do it because we know where the batteries are coming from, the, how the modules code was written, how everything, how they, you know, how everything works. And with that really sort of close relationship you're talking about with your your customers when you're you're optimizing their batteries, to what extent do you see um, the battery optimizing sort of the, the third party um, taking some sharing in some of the risk as well? So, for instance, we're seeing um, some parties offering revenue guarantees or or some sort of profit share model, yeah. um, and therefore they're taking on some of the risk as well as the reward, obviously. Um, yeah. Where do you see this coming out? We're doing that also. Sometimes for our customers, in order to believe what we are telling them, you know, or, or put it differently, you know, you know, the additional value we bring to the table, sometimes mm -hmm. for the customers, it's very difficult to compensate for it because, you know, they need a leap of faith there. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we provided a leap of faith. Okay, up to this point, is this amount, if I can do better, I, I'll shave 20, 10, some, some amount of it. And it has worked. I know that some, some of our, my competitors are, you know, have a, they, you know, do some things that are similar. I think you'll see more and more of that coming. Those type of, you know, profit sharing or revenue sharing or upside sharing or floor uh, setting it kind of helps uh, customers take that leap of faith. And you'll see more and more financial plays getting here. The financial players will probably bring, you know, death of, you know, solution development or product development that will help resolve some of the issues that we're trying to resolve with this revenue sharing and stuff. And it's definitely something we're seeing here in Texas, having the, the question that developers are, uh, or IPBs are asking is to what extent do they have to give up value for in exchange for that? that That's right. Yeah. Or in California, where you actually make money just, you know, the summer month, you know? You might make money on the other side, but that's the one, you know, kind of, you know. So, hey, you have to really believe these things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. Great. That feels like a good place to wrap up the discussion. And I'll end with a question we always love to ask, which is, is there anyone that you're reading or listening to in the energy space that you think is especially thought-provoking or that you'd like to recommend to the listeners? I read so much on energy during my day job that I don't. So, I, you know, I've been reading now lately what I've told you, which is connected, but geopolitics a lot. I think that this is a science that somehow after the Berlin Wall fell down and the, you know, the Cold War ended, we are, I, I kind of forgot about it, you know, and now we're, it's coming back, you know. So, so I mean, you know, I'm sure the geopoliticians will hate that I'm saying that it's coming back and say they never left. Yeah, clearly never left, but I, I kind, of, kind of lost prominence. I've been reading a lot about it, and I think this, clearly the deindustrialization, I don't think where trade routes are going to happen, how ensure that you're going to have, in my case, when I look, our business will still have, will have to manage a complex, you know, trade or a complex supply chain that understanding geopolitics will be very, very important for anybody in, the, in any sector of life or in the energy sector. Certainly, and we've definitely seen that lately in the energy sector. 
Um, well, thank you so much, Julian, for taking the time out of your busy schedule no, to join great. us. Thank you very much, and and really great. I enjoy the conversation, and and let's hope we can get you know together for uh, maybe a beer <laughs> and talk to our energy. That was Oliver Kerr, head of Aurora's U.S. business, and Felix Chow Cambich, who heads up Aurora's Kaiso and Western U.S. advisory practice, talking to Julian Breda, CEO of Fluence Energy. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use. Thanks for listening and goodbye.